battle of wizards and warriors continues with iron swords. The evil wizard Malkil will take the shape of the earth, wind, water, and fire. Farewell! The fate of the world is in your hands! You're listening to the Piercing Wizard Podcast, and I'm your host, Ryan Willett. I'm a professional body piercer with 20 years experience, I travel around the world teaching technique and safety classes, and I'm a member of the Association of Professional Piercers. Listen in as I talk to my friends and colleagues about our industry so we can all stay sharp. Hi everybody, how you doing? Welcome back to another episode of the show. Uh, My guest this week is going to be Mark Williams. He's the owner of Piercing Emporium and Tattoo in Worcester, Massachusetts. Uh, Piercing Emporium has been around uh, quite a while in the New England area. They're definitely one of the higher volume studios, so it's cool to talk to Mark. Uh, We definitely talk about what it's like running a, a high volume studio and all the things that come with it, you know, uh, employee management, inventory management, uh, and actually growing a business. So there's a, a lot of insight to, to share. Um, Piercing Emporium just moved into a, a massive building uh, just a few months back, and it's just cool to talk to Mark and, and hear his story about how he started out in the, the mid-90s and, and grew it into what he's got going now. A couple of little bits of news about me. Um, the classes are still definitely open if anybody's out there interested. Uh, Chicago, I'm pretty sure I'm going to have to cut off Chicago registration uh, pretty soon. Maybe I could squeeze in one or two more people, but you know that class filled up real quick. Uh, so I think that's going to be a really great one. I'm really looking forward to that. The San Francisco class in early June still has a few spots available. So if you're waiting on that, you might want to send in your registration before I have to, to cap that one as well. Uh, this Sunday, I'll be doing my uh, shorter class at the Boston Tattoo Convention. I've, I've got a good group of people there, so I'm looking forward to that one. Uh, looking forward less to the actual convention itself. It's just a, it's a huge undertaking, you know, packing up everything you need to pierce, you know, and, and fitting it all into a, to a car, getting it down to Boston, setting it all up, you know. So it's great to see those people that I, that I really only see once a year. You know, at this point, I've been doing the Boston Tattoo Convention for uh, around 15 years, I think maybe even a little bit longer than that. And uh, it's cool to have your your own clientele for, for conventions, you know, people that live in the Boston area that just come and see me once a year when I'm there. And uh, it's just really cool to see. Um, I am going to be going back to the UK in uh, mid-June, late June. And uh, I, I'm thinking about maybe trying to add on like a, a one-day little class or seminar or something, uh, I'm having a little bit of trouble finding a, a venue and a studio. Um, so I, I don't know if uh, you think it would be weird or not to just have it in a, a private location. You know, I'm looking into different bars or clubs where I can just kind of rent some space for a few hours. And, uh, you know, if I can't find that, I, I might even just rent like a nice apartment uh, on Airbnb and maybe just do a, a small handful of people, you know, half a dozen people and uh, just do a, a seminar, you know, slideshow. I can bring some things and do some practical examples, you know, not live piercing, obviously, in, in, a, in a situation like that. But um, there are lots of different uh, practical things that we can do for, for practice. So if you're out there and you're listening and, and you're a body piercer uh, somewhere in the, the London, England area or, or able to make it to London, England, uh, you know, reasonably easy. I do have, um, I, I think it's Wednesday, June 20th. I, I have wide open. So if you're interested in that, send me a message. Uh, you can email me at ryanpba at gmail.com or you can message me on Facebook. Uh, let me know if you think if it's a good idea. Let me know if you think it's a terrible idea. You know, um, I, I think I would really like to nail something down in a studio, um, but maybe at a later date. With a little bit more time to plan, this trip, not surprisingly, is for uh, some some wrestling shows, and I'm gonna have one whole extra day there. And I figure, you know, why not uh, try to do a seminar and and you know meet some people. So uh, if you're interested, totally drop me a line, and we'll see if we can work something out. 
For now, let's get into this week's interview with uh, Mark Williams from the Piercing Emporium in Worcester, Mass. So my name is Mark Williams. I'm in Worcester, Massachusetts. My studio is Piercing Emporium and Tattoo at 205 Shrewsbury Street in Worcester, Mass. Um, so I'm how, piercing for – yes, go ahead. I'm sorry. Well, uh, how long have you been at that location? Because that's, that's your new spot, right? Yes, sir. Uh, we've been here since the 18th of December, so just about four months now. Cool. Uh, and then what was your, your last location? Like Size-wise, it was maybe like half the size, or was it even smaller than that? Well, it was two floors, and where we're now we're on one floor. If we were about eighteen hundred square feet. Now we're at three thousand square feet. Cool. So I wouldn't say it's you know it's not a doubled, but where it's all laid out differently, everything is utilized a hundred percent now. So it's more efficient. We get to um, use every square foot where there was stairs in the way and different closets and things like that. And the building being old now, new construction is less things in the way. Right. So how, how long were you in your old spot? 18 years. Cool. Uh, I know that, you know, you kind of started, was it you specifically or your family that were in kind of like the, the hair care salon game? Yeah, my family owns a hair salon that's been in business for over 65 years now. And um, I started on the top floor of that building back in 1995. They had a small area that I took over from them utilized their waiting room and had a small waiting room right outside of my piercing room. And when people would come in, I would bring them up to that area and would work from there. And that's how it started. Cool. What, what was it that kind of made you want to get into body piercing as a profession versus getting into kind of like the family business? Well, I was already quote unquote in the family business. I was working for them as a receptionist as a teenager and, and then started working with them more and more just in the business aspect um, but I think like a lot of other body piercers, I got my first piercing professionally with an, an eyebrow piercing and was just taken back. I wanted to learn more. I wanted more and, and wanted to learn more about it. And the person that did the piercing on me, uh, that person, I became very friendly and just built a relationship and started working more and more as, as a, a good friendship. And that person saw perspective in me and started doing an apprenticeship under me. Cool. So chip under them. I apologize. I said that wrong. Oh no, that's fine. Uh, so, um, what was, what was that like progression in, in the early phases? You know, if you went from just kind of having a small space to eventually kind of taking over the, the whole building and, and then eventually kind of, you know, taking on other, other piercers and other staff members, what was it like in the beginning? You know, did you feel like this was going to be your, your long-term career or did you feel like it was, kind of a transitional thing for you? Was it your plan to, to kind of grow it the way that you did? Wow. Well, it's a little different. All right. Sorry. A little, a little tough for me to talk about only because I was so young when I first started, I was only 18 when I first started piercing. Mm -hmm. So I didn't have any forethought, any sight of where this was going. I personally at that point didn't really even think about it as a business aspect. I just, thought it was something cool to do and was having fun while I was doing it. Yeah. Yeah. I was kind of the and, same way. You know, I was just like a teenager that liked piercing and I was like, Oh, it would be cool if I could pierce other people and make some money off of it. Yeah, exactly. And then as it started getting busier and busier and I was at one location, which was above the family salon, then I moved into a better location and then you could start to see the growth and progression of this and started taking it more seriously and started looking more at the business aspect of it. Mm -hmm. 
I, you know, it probably was a good three, four years into it before I even had that little bit of a mindset. Um, and that's when I started looking at potentially employees and, and, and growth. And it, from where it was to where it is now, I never would have thought it'd get to this point. I never would have had that mindset where, hey, eventually at some point you're going to have a full staff of people working underneath you and you're going to be in a 3,000 square foot building and, and so on and so on. I never would have had that forethought, you know. Back in the day when I first started piercing, I was just happy that we did three to four piercings a day right. if I was lucky. Now we're doing three to four piercings, you know, an hour minimum. Right. So, right. you know, it's mind-blowing. I'm sure having like the family connections of, you know, your family being business people, you know, probably helped you a lot too. That probably influenced you when, when you were growing up and, and gave you more of like a natural business business sense, you know, maybe I'm sure you had to learn things just like everybody does, but you know, I'm sure it, w it was a little bit more natural to you than to some people whose family might not have been in like the self-employed uh, kind of business mindset. I think it helped out a lot where I still, if I have questions, I can ask them because they're still doing very well as a business mm -hmm. and working with them and growing up in that atmosphere. I mean, my whole childhood, I grew up in the hair industry. I grew up at the salon because my grandparents lived right next door. So I was there my entire life and, and got to see the business for them as it grew because they grew as well. Yeah. Always asking questions and learning more and more from them. It, it did help out a lot where if someone didn't have any um, experience in the service industry at all, um, I think that's where I had my little bit, of, little bit of an advantage. Unless someone had a ton of business classes underneath them, I had a real world experience, not a per se um, business class experience. Right. Yeah, because you know there are some people where they they can go to those business classes, but they still might not even have that the natural instinct for things like customer service and workflow and you know how to treat employees and and how to grow success. You know there there are some parts of business that you can learn and some parts of business that you just have to be naturally comfortable with. And and I think um, when you see Certain businesses, you know, certain successful businesses, you can see that they were just kind of naturally gifted when it comes to the way they manage people, you know, the way they the way they offer a service and, and, and things like that. I agree 100 percent with you. It's having that instinct and being able to naturally flow with people and get along with people and have that does help out a lot. So what do you feel like the, the tipping point was? You know, if, if you started out just doing a, a handful of piercings a day and now you're one of the, the highest volume studios in New England, like what do you feel was the main tipping point? Do you think it was location? Do you think it was the way you built your, your jewelry selection or the, the staffing? Like what do you think were, were some of the, the key elements early on? Well, I feel there's a lot of puzzles, a lot of pieces to that puzzle, but one, yes, location and time. Being in it for as long as I have been, um, I have built up a, a, a good reputation where people have gotten to know me, very personal with people. And then, yes, jewelry makes a big decision as well, where you're offering stuff that other people are not offering or never have offered until now, where more and more studios are starting to transition into better quality jewelry, where I was already offering that straight from the beginning. Okay. So when you started mm -hmm. out, what, what were some of the companies you, you were starting with? I, I mean, I know you do a, a really huge amount of uh, volume with industrial strength now. Like, were they one of your, your first vendors or were you using anybody else? Oh, yeah. Even before industrial strength, I was ordering jewelry from Eric Dakota when it was Fakir Dakota Steel. Cool. Um, yeah. I mean, I've been internal from the beginning and 
and I was ordering jewelry from them or stuff that you couldn't order from them. I was ordering from Gauntlet because there wasn't a lot of companies back then that were internal. Yeah, I, and I then when that. Yeah. yeah, and when Anatometal and, and Industrial Strength started coming into the scene and taking over more and more, that's where I started ordering a lot more from. Um, you know, Anatometal was the only ones making 16-gauge internal thread back in the day. Mm-hmm. So that's where I was getting that from and then just built a good relationship with JD from Industrial Strength and order massive amounts from them and then once neo metal came into play the same started working more from them cool i i know that um I, I don't know how it still is with like the balance between what you get from what vendor but i know for a long time you were one of the the highest volume industrial strength shops in the in the country right that's what my sales rep will still tell me now is that for a single own studio where i don't have multiples i am one of the highest uh retailers from their Story line. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So I hope I still. I would like to still think I am. Well, I mean, you're you're doing a, a, a pretty high volume. What would you say? You know, uh, uh, seasonal spikes or holidays aside, like what would you say a, a, a typical day or week or or month would be for you, like traffic wise? As far as volume of people, or are we talking what piercings we're doing? Yeah, so. like piercings, jewelry changes, you know, something like that. Because, you know, to, to give people perspective, you know, my studio, which I consider to be comfortable for me, you know, one piercer with one counter person on at a time, you know, in an average day, I'll do maybe 10, you know, and in a busy day, I'll do maybe 20. But that's about it for me. But I, I know that your studio can, can go a lot higher than that. Yeah, our, our regular business days, taking again, like you said, holidays or vacations and stuff like that aside, were an average of between... Um, Monday through say Thursday, we're doing between 30 to 35 piercings and about a dozen or so changes where, um, then some busier Thursday, Friday, Saturdays, we're doing anywhere between 50 to 90 piercings with another 30, 35 changes mixed in with that. Do you have, uh, do you have one of those like personal record, like the most you've done in a day? Yeah, we actually were just talking about that the other day because, Last Saturday, we hit 104 piercings and 45 changes, and our record, funny to say, was in our smaller location, was 108 piercings on a Saturday. Wow. And not that I'm I'm trying to break that at any point in time because it's a a very busy, non-sitting, (laughs) no-break. Got to think, okay, do I get to go and use the lavatory at this moment or – do I get to go eat something really quick? I have to make that decision right. because it's not a time. It's like triage, like piercing triage, basically. Yeah. And we still take our time with each client. I'm not rushing any person in any way. I think with our flow, how everything works, our front counter staff helps pick out jewelry extremely well. So by the time we get in touch with the client, they've already picked out what they want. There's very little changes that ever happen. They get the right size, right thickness, right length. They're trained very well. So by the time they get back with us, we can concentrate directly on what we're doing. We're explaining their aftercare, explaining the risks and precautions with the piercing, performing the piercing, and then making the client happy as they walk out. That's great. So as far as flow goes, um, you know, I know that you have a lot of Sycan equipment, you know, Statums and Hydrum and all that. So do you use any prepackaged material like, you know, for, for posts or ends or anything like that? Or is everything right in the Statum for every client? I would say it's 65% prepackaged and 40% uh, statum ran. Okay. Um, I spend a lot of time prepping throughout the week, and it's the basics. So our basic posts for nostrils and air cartilage and basic gems. 
Whereas if more innate, if someone wanted a premium cluster or um, a prong set navel curve, those would come straight out of the display and then go through the Statum Autoclave. Right, that makes sense. Because I'd imagine if you're doing, you know, even 50 piercings in a day, you know, with the Statum, that's a huge amount of time just waiting for cycles to, to run. So I'd imagine with that kind of volume, you can't really, even if you have the fastest sterilizers in the world and you have a few of them, I, I don't think that would probably be enough for you on one of your busier days. No, it does slow it down a little bit, but that's where having multiple statums helps out as well, mm -hmm. where I do two 2,000s for each piercing room, and then we have five two 5,000s, so they do help out where if I need something that's going to be three, four clients later, I can throw something in one of the statums, let that run while I'm working with other people. Right. Yeah, that's smart. You know, I'm kind of at a tipping point right now where, you know, I I run one statum at a time. I have two statums, but I only run one at a time. And I think I'm going to have to get to the point soon where, you know, I, I have the second one set up and, and running uh, each day too. Because, you know, I'm not, I don't think I'll ever be um, high volume, quote unquote high volume. But, uh, you know, sometimes it, it stinks having clients have to wait two or three hours. So I think I'm right at that tipping point where I need to have a second piercer on weekends and uh, probably running a second a second statum too. Ryan, don't don't say you don't think. Don't uh, keep pushing yourself forward. Keep keep pushing forward. When we first started with two piercers, it was just Fridays and Saturdays because we were hitting thirty piercings a day, and it was really trying starting to drain the piercer because you were working so hard to keep up. Um, and until you got used to that type of flow. You know, just keep looking forward towards that and, and push towards that because that's how we started out. It was two pierces just Friday, Saturdays. Now we're two pierces seven days a week, and it's it's at the tipping point where we can't go without two piercers every day. We just can't fathomly do it because it's too stressful for the other piercer. Right. It's too busy. Right. You know, I, I – I'm very nervous when it comes to growing my business because I feel like I get I get overwhelmed very easily. You know, like I – I'm comfortable with business, you know, and, and I've gotten better at it since uh, since I've started. But you know, I sometimes I think like, do I want do I want to take on more stress, you know, and and uh, you know, hiring more people and and running more people and all that stuff. And and I have grown a, a fair amount f since where I've started. But yeah, I'm always apprehensive with that, you know. And a lot of people always ask me like, oh, when are you going to open a second shop? When are you going to open a second shop? And it's like, I don't want to open a second shop. I can barely handle running one shop. So. Um, you know, kudos to you for, for having the, you know, logistical capability of being able to, to keep all those balls in the air with juggling, you know, and I'm not entirely sure I could do it. And no, I, I think you could, you already have employees now. You're just adding a little bit more to it. It's like having dogs. You've got two, what's a third. It's, you're just adding one more to it. Um, it, the stress is still there no matter what. It doesn't necessarily, I would say get worse. It's, you just have stress there all the time. And you're doing great where you are now. I think you would do completely fine if you took on a little more staff in the studio. Yeah, yeah, um, maybe I'll do that. I, I I feel like that's it's coming down the line. I feel like I'm gonna have to do that at some point. You know, I, maybe I'll start training some new people or pulling some new people in or whatever. But yeah, I feel like I'm gonna have to do that eventually. And and I will say that there was always that constant worry at the beginning where if business started to slow down a little bit, did I make the right decision? Mm -hmm. Should I take it on a second piercing? Am I going to have enough business to support that person? Because I look at the, the larger scale of it. I don't just look at it as a person. I mean, this is their livelihood. This is what they how they eat, how they they maintain their, their daily activities. So right. I always thought about that and worried about that. And then when business started getting busier and busier and 
took on, you know, another employee that worry was still there and that worry is still there. Sometimes we're all waiting for that proverbial bubble to pop, uh, which hope I hope it never happens. And I hope business continue to keep moving forward for all of us. Mm. Um, There's always that worry where what if that that bubble does pop and, and business starts to slow down? You know, how do you make what type of decision cuts? Um, and I hope I never have to make that decision. I, you know, I don't want to look at like the staples of the industry where, um, you know, where staples has the, the company I'm saying, you know, office supply staples have to lay people off because their industry is shrinking. I right. hope I never have that point. Yeah. Yeah. That, that has been a worry in my mind of thinking like, well, you know, if I did want to take uh, an existing piercer and offer them a job, like what am I going to be able to offer competitively, you know, compared to the the other APP studios in the area, you know, you or Visions or Black Diamond or Rockstar or whatever, like how could I uh, in in Nashua, New Hampshire make that seem appealing, you know, saying, well, I might be I might be able to offer you 2 days a week, you know, and and that might not be enough for somebody to be able to commute or, or let alone move or, or something like that, you know, or, or do I train somebody, you know, start them on counter and, and work them up? You know, I did that with Evan and that took, I don't know, three years or something like that. So, uh, it is, it is, you know, challenging, it's challenging, but, uh, you know, I do feel like I don't want to become stagnant. I don't want to plateau because that just means that somebody else is going to, to take on a larger market share. You know, if people, or people are out there and they're and they're demanding the the quality or the services that we're offering and we can't offer it. Somebody else is going to offer it, you know. So that's that's always on the back of my mind. You're 100 percent right. Yeah. So um, when it comes to to staffing, you know, you seem like you have a pretty consistent staff. You know, like there are a lot of studios where they have people in and out. You know, in uh, guest artists aside, you know, uh, I don't re- really like to see high turnover in a shop because you want. You want customers to be able to come in and recognize somebody's face or recognize somebody's name, and you seem to be have been pretty fortunate with having like long-term staff members. Do you feel like, uh, do you feel like that was a struggle for you, or do you feel like it was just kind of like natural with the people that that ended up working with you? Um, I think it's always a struggle. You want to keep your employee happy, mm-hmm. so. It's that constant balance of what's going to keep this person happy to keep them here. And up until I just had Ed guest spot here, I didn't know there was such a high turnover volume in the industry where he said that if you're lucky, if you have someone to stay with you for five years, yeah. I had no clue about that. I just looked at people, oh, you work at this studio? Cool. They must work there forever. Mm-hmm. Um, I never really noticed that. And I really haven't had a high turnover, luckily enough for me, and, and, and I feel – there's a couple things that balance that where this is their hometown, so they want to stay obviously here. Right. And they're making a good living, and I'm trying to always keep that balance to make sure that they're happy. Um, I do have a business that I have to run, so I have to look, put that first. But keeping them ultimately happy is is a good thing, and it's going to keep our clientele happy because a happy employee makes a happy uh, clientele. Right. Right. Well, that's for sure. And when I first started out with, uh, well, take Emrys for instance. Um, and Reese was actually working out in Adams mass and I needed another piercer just one day a week. And I offered it to him and he was more than happy to come in and just start working that one day a week. And that financially started turning over more for him and he took on two and then he ended up taking on three and now he's a, a five day employee. Mm-hmm. I mean, so I think that it's a cool transition. You know, I, I see, I see a lot of people 
kind of bounce from studio to studio, and I, I feel like they're kind of looking for a studio like yours, you know? Like, sometimes when people are doing guest spots, it's people who are at a transitional point in their career. Maybe they're going from their original studio where maybe they started to learn a little bit. Maybe they had not such great mentoring, you know, and they want to get to one of those higher volume shops, nicer jewelry shops, nicer sterilization kind of shops. And I think that sometimes they bounce around from studio to studio until they, they find the right fit, you know, and then I, I feel like when they land on a studio like, you know, maybe yours or maybe like Infinite or, uh, you know, High Priestess or, or something like that, you know, then they, they kind of find what they're looking for and then they start to maybe settle in a little bit. Sure. I'll agree with you on that. So what are some of the what are some of the things that you really saw as um, the the right decisions through through the the growth of the shop? You know, was it growing inventory or was it you know focusing on on staffing or focusing on more efficient sterilization? Like if if someone was in a studio and they had the capability of increasing their volume, what are some of the pieces of advice that you would give to them? Because I've seen studios try to do certain things, you know, grow their inventory or whatever, and they just made the wrong decision. They put their money in the wrong place and it didn't really help their studio very much. Mm, that's a good question. I think I've definitely made a lot of mistakes with that idea of how do I get this to grow and where do we grow? And yes, inventory is one, but paying attention close to inventory of what is, I would say, the most popular at the moment. Um, and where right now, say, you know, clickers are very important multiple gem clusters are very important. What the clientele are looking for is important with growth of inventory. Mm -hmm. um, I've, we've all gotten into that little bit. I don't want to say a trap, but that, oh, look at all these pretty air hanging pieces. And now I have an entire case of all this air weight design and, and beautiful jewelry, but the clientele isn't looking for that or where there was a giant portion of time where everyone was into organic. And now I have all this organic and now no one's into organic anymore. Right. Um, and again, I, I think that translates to where you are in the country as well, because certain parts of the world are selling more of one style than than what I'm selling here in New England. Oh, for sure. Uh, so that makes a big difference. And yes, your your employee staff makes a, a very big difference in that as well, too, because if you have one employee that is just not happy, that is rude to clientele or just an, just an, an unhappy person individual wise. Um, it's going to bring everything down. Your clientele is going to feel that. Other people around you are going to feel that. So I think that can ruin the the growth of a studio as well. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, I I don't want to be like REM shiny happy people, but that's kind of what you want when clientele are walking in. You want everyone smiling, everyone happy. You want people to feel happy as they're walking in the door. Right. Right. And that's gonna, that clientele tell other clientele and continue your growth. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's great. So. Um, in, in your area in, in Worcester, Mass., you have quite a few college campuses in your direct area, right? Yes. If I'm correct, there's 12 in a short, say, 15, 20-mile radius. That is mind-blowing, you know, because I've got, I've got one community college in my area, but I don't really generate a huge amount of, of business from it because it's, it's people that commute to that school. You know, it's not people that stay there in a dorm or something like that, you know. So I get a couple people from it, but not huge. But I would imagine that you know, the lion's share of your business is, is generated through those like kind of college students, or at least the word of mouth is generated through there. Would I be wrong? No, you're not wrong. There is a good portion of our clientele that is college-based, um, but just in general, we service all ages as well. Mm -hmm. So we've been really busy with children's earlobes. Um, 
I would say yesterday, I think we did six or seven sets of little kids earlobes. Wow. Uh, so that definitely helps out a lot. And especially where we're a little bit more of a draw because we have two piercers. So we do a lot of tandem piercings. Mm-hmm. We can offer a lot of little kids want to get their ears pierced, but they don't want to do them one at a time. They're too scared. Right. Or same with um, nipple piercings. We have a lot of people that will drive a good distance to come in to get nipple piercings because we can do them both simultaneously where having mine done, I can understand it's it's to go from one to the second. That little bit of lag, that one minute in between definitely is uh, some nerve wracking experience, but it does help out a lot to have them both done at once. Right. So we have a good intel coming in for that. But all walks of life. My oldest client, which I love to preach about, she's 92 years old and she came in for her rook, her conch and, and a higher set of earlobes and just came back and purchased a uh, $300 piece of gold uh, jewelry for her conch the other day. Awesome. Um, yeah. So we have a, a very diverse clientele of all ages. Right. Um, but the college group does help out a lot. That's probably a good 15 to 20% of our clientele. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's just cool to have, you know, so many, so many different people interested in a product, you know, and, uh, have you felt like, um, like minor piercing, like children's earlobes has, has grown rapidly over the last year or two, because in my studio, uh, just as soon as like three years ago, it really wasn't a big deal. You know, I would do one occasionally, you know, not, not, not that often. And now it's like constant. I'm constantly emails, people coming in, asking about it, all this stuff. I I feel like it's kind of an explosion because now the parents are more educated that gun piercing is, is potentially so dangerous. Yes. I think with the videos that are being shared on Facebook, um, where you see that one that's generically being passed all over the place saying Tattoo Studio is a new place to get your ears pierced for little kids and safer. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the internet in general, people, yeah, they are educating themselves, which is a great thing and learning that a gun piercing is not safe. It's definitely more painful. This is the route to take. It has increased business a lot. And I think that if studios start, I don't want to say you want to change your entire studio to incorporate children, but if you make it children, quote unquote, friendly, so the atmosphere is nice for them as well, too. They're going to feel more comfortable coming in. Oh, yeah. Where we don't have anything that's kind of age appropriate in our studio at all. You know, you can have an eight-year-old with an 18-year-old, and, and they can be looking at the same thing at any point in time, and there's no weird questions coming up. Right. Do you, do you feel like that was a, a conscious effort when you moved to your old location to this one? Um, do you feel like when – I, when I was in my last location, it was very – comfortable for the staff, you know, and it, 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 we had certain things that were designed for the clients, you know, to, to look out and art and color and things like that. But it was definitely like dude centric and, and employee centric, you know, and now at the new studio, we try to make it more, uh, appropriate for everybody and welcoming to everybody. And, and I, I feel like, uh, that's an important lesson to learn when you're, when you're a studio owner is you have to, you have to make it all things for all people. Um, and that's a hard lesson. So what were some of the things you incorporated in your, your new studio design wise? Um, well, when looking at everything from the last studio, especially when a lot more little kids were coming in, um, what little kids couldn't play with, what they couldn't take off the wall, what there were less things that, uh, people could, could damage, we'll say, mm-hmm. um, and visual aspects where at one point I did have those fun little rubber body bits. There's the genital ones and nipple ones as well, too. I used to have those displayed in a certain area, um, which we don't have that anymore. Mm-hmm. Unless people ask for it, then we can visibly show them. And same with our portfolios where they don't have the 18-plus photos in them. We have them now separately, so if people ask questions for that. 
Right. Yeah, um, that, that seems like a big trend. I, I I just saw on Facebook uh, John Joyce from Scarab was posting about that too, where he actually had to remove all of the like 18 plus content from his portfolios because even grown adults were like giggling and mocking people's anatomy and they just weren't mature enough to, to look at a book that had nipple piercings in it. So, you know, I, I don't know if that's going to be a trend. You know, I would certainly, I, I get it when it comes to minors, you know, you don't want a, a kid to open up a book and see someone's genitals, you know, um, but it, it is weird how, how the studio design is changing and how it's not just uh, children age-wise, sometimes it can be like immature adults too. Maybe they, they just can't comprehend seeing other people's like nudity and, and expression of like, you know, their, their own body image. Yeah. Um, I think it is a new experience for a lot of people walking into our industry where it was such an, uh, the idea of you wanted to get your ears pierced, you went to the mall, which is a very age appropriate for everyone where near, now you're going to what deemed was before more of a, say, a biker gang or um, – I'm sorry, I can't even think of the, the, the right words to say it at the moment. But it was it was different for people to walk into a tattoo studio. Right. You know, if you walk into a tattoo studio, it was very tabooish. People were like, ooh, you went there? Yeah, it was um, like very counterculture. And now it's like it's it's nothing, you know, for, for someone to when, – when I, when I pierce a kid – and uh, and then, you know, maybe their parents are talking about it. It'll be like the mom and the dad and they'll bring their brothers and sisters or maybe a grandmother. And it'll it'll be this whole family thing where it's totally acceptable and everybody digs it, you know. But 10 years ago, it would be like, a, oh, we're not we're not going to go in there. We don't want to buy any crystal meth today. We're not going to go into a tattoo shop, you know. So just seeing how people think of, of tattoo and piercing body art studios in general now is, is fantastic. Yes. Yeah, I like how it's more of a progressive people like oh you own that studio oh that's awesome great view where i mean i'll use my own personal experience uh 20 years ago when i was first starting together with starting to date my now wife um her father wasn't keen with what i did for a living mm -hmm. where now her father's very proud of the the business that i've built up and and where i am now but it was back then it was oh what is he going to provide how is he going to provide for you he's just a body piercer right where now yeah. people are ecstatic to be like, oh, that guy's a tattoo artist. Wow, that's awesome. He, you know, he must be doing very well for himself. Or same with body piercing as well. It's it's definitely it's come full circle, and now people are are proud of our type of industry and and what we do for a living. I think people are starting to see it as a respectable business now. Finally, you know, and I, I think um, you know the the rise of high quality jewelry has really been a huge part of that. You know, because now people can see it as it's not just a, like a, a quote unquote tattoo parlor, you know, it's, it's a jewelry store in a lot of it, in a lot of instances, you know, and it's, it's an art gallery in a lot of instances and it just changes the way that people think about it. Um, when it came time for you to think about the new building, you know, finances and, you know, for whatever sort of loans or anything you might've had to do for it, did you ever run into a problem with the banks where they would maybe not take you seriously because of the line of work you were in? For a brief second, but I've used the same bank for over 20 years. Mm -hmm. So I think them just seeing what was coming through my account and what my taxes were, that they didn't really give me that much of a problem. Right. Uh, and I own the building that I was in before as well, too. So I already had the collateral for them at that point to be like, okay, we can give this guy a loan. And they helped me push forward. Yeah. So they, they saw you as a, a business professional probably from close to day one, which, which is nice. But I... 
I ran into the opposite, uh, unfortunately, you know, when I went from my last location, which I didn't own, I rented, you know, but I, I had, I had a home, I had other assets, you know, and I, I dealt a lot with this, uh, with this bank, you know, I went into my, my regular bank and started to talk to them about, uh, the loan to, to purchase the, the building that my studio is in now. And this guy just, you know, he treated me like a kid. He treated me like some kid that would, you know, be borrowing money from his parents or, or something like that, or some sort of like risk, you know, when my credit score is through the roof and, you know, and I have a bank account to, to be able to, uh, you know, pay a mortgage, you know, and, um, he was just really rude to me and it, it really, it, it soured me for a little while, you know, for, for a bit, you know, and I ended up going somewhere else and I, I, I got an amazing loan through them. And then when I went back to my bank to end up talking to, uh, a different financial advisor there. They're like, Oh, did you ever talk to so-and-so about the loan and be like, yeah. And they completely lost my business, you know? So, uh, it's, it's great that they saw you as, as more of a professional because that was not my experience, unfortunately. Yeah. I'm sorry to hear that is a little rough. I think having that 20 year bond with them definitely helped out a lot. Right. I mean, I, I had dealt with this bank for at least 15 years, you know, like they were, they were my main thing, but what it was is I had I had a, a, a regular consultant that I always dealt with, you know, like an account specialist that would handle all my, you know, checking account kind of stuff. And then they passed me off to someone who was in a different department. And that person didn't know me at all. They didn't even really look at my account. They just looked at me and they completely disregarded me as a, as a business professional. And I just wanted to look them in the face and be like, you have no idea how much money you just lost by treating me like a kid and not like a, a business professional. Yeah, that's really too bad. Yeah, yeah, it was a bummer. So what do you see as um, the, the, the future? You know, not just your studio, my studio, but the, the industry in general. Like, where, where, are you noticing any sort of trends coming up with what the clients are asking for or how the clients are asking, you know, jewelry, piercing, style-wise? Like, are you noticing any trends coming down the pipeline? Hmm. That's tough. I've been a little busy, to be honest with you, to even contemplate that. Um where I lost an employee and working six days a week, I don't really have the mindset to, to think about that. Um, I have to be honest with you. I almost have to be like, sorry, Trebek, I have to pass on this question. I really. <laughs> no, that's really fine. Well, we can always, we can revisit it uh, in a couple of, couple of months or something and maybe a conference or something. We can, we can do another podcast and chat a little bit and, and talk about that. But to talk about the employee thing, you know, that that's interesting, you know, because if you had, a long-term employee that ended up moving on and now you're kind of bringing in occasional guest artists, you know, Ed and, and other people like that. What's your, what's your game plan? You know, if you wanted to, to expand and you wanted to bring somebody in, are you more interested in trying people out with a guest spot and hiring them? Or are you, do you have any interest at all in, in maybe starting over with a, a new apprentice, something like that? Mm, good question. Well, luckily enough, I just had, I just hired a new employee okay. that went from one studio to another. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was, it was amicable. I wasn't searching out for that person. I didn't ask that person. That person came to me and, um, and we had a long conversation about it. Um, if that person didn't come to me, I did have that thought process of doing another apprenticeship, mm -hmm. uh, because I put feelers out there for other piercers and put it in a couple forums and I didn't really have a lot of good response from it. Right. Um, and I have had a couple of people come out to do some guest spots like Ed and another gentleman named Chris and, um, and everything's been going very well with that. And Ed actually has been up until I hired a new employee, Ed was a pretty standing every two weeks. He would drive up from Philly, be here for two weeks, then drive back to Philly. Wow. And that was working 
spoke beautifully and he just came up for another guest spot and he'll be back up the end of July, early of August. Um, and that works out great. Um, the only little bit of tiresome of just having guest spots is as a business owner, you don't have that, that comfort of, okay, Monday through Friday is X, Y, and Z Saturday, Sunday is, is so on and so on. It's, it is a constant like change up in the mix. Right. And it does get a little hectic, but you still get a little bit of time off and things still flow well. And I think that helps out well with a, a good guest artist. And Ed is awesome. He flows in very well. Clients love him. He adapts very well to the, the atmosphere and, and just the surroundings. Um, you know, I mean, I thank God for GPS because I feel bad for the guy. <laughs> Worcester's not the easiest city to navigate through. It's also um, not an easy city for people to pronounce most of the time. How often do you get people calling it like Worcester? Yeah. Oh, all the time. Yeah. Every person that's from this area that calls, uh, the, so you're in Worcester um, or just even the street I'm on is Shrewsbury. Right. Uh, a lot of people, you know, have a hard time pronouncing that one as well. Uh, but I just tell them it, it's as easy as what our mayor used to say. It's like W-O-O-S-T-A, Worcester. Yeah. <laughs> it is mispronounced constantly. So Ed seems like one of those rare talents where he's he's super versatile because that's kind of how he how he grew through his career. You know, it was a little bit from this studio and a little bit from this studio. So he kind of has picked and choose the the best things from the best shops, and he knows how to just kind of like jump right in and and find his groove in a in a studio with you know different counter staff and different logistics and you know different processes and everything like that. And I, I would imagine it would be tough to find somebody to to fill those kinds of shoes or to find somebody who is is comfortable and capable to jump into a studio where an average day is, is 30 to 50 piercings. That's got to be pretty challenging for a lot of people. Yeah, the new person that's working for us definitely is taking a little bit of time working into that. Uh, they were not uh, in a studio that was extremely high volume like that. So slowly working into it. And I'll be honest with you, even now, sometimes on days that I work where we're doing 70 piercings a day, I'm – I would say used to it, but by the end of the day, I'm physically exhausted. There's nothing more for me. I go home, I pass out. Right. Um, it, it's tough for anyone, even if you're used to high volume studio, it is definitely a, a, a tough thing to manage. And, and I think, you know, did I do the wrong thing? Did I not build a big enough studio? Do I have to grow a little bit more? Um, and I don't like to think of that either, <laughs> but uh, well, but hopefully yeah, it's it, not going to be something you have to deal with too soon. Cause I mean, you've only been in that building for, for four months. So you definitely want to get your use out of that thing. Oh yeah, of course. No, there's no, I think this is my end game. I don't think I'll be moving anything more or do anything more than where I am. That's what um, I told myself too, but who, who knows, you know, cause I'm in the same kind of thing. I'm in a, about 3000 square feet. And you know, when I, when I moved in there, I was like, this is perfect. This is exactly what I wanted. And this is everything that I could have hoped and dreamed for. And now I'm looking at it and I'm like, well, I might have to add in another tattoo workstation here and I might have to move this or knock down this wall and expand this. So it's like, it's, it's, it's never ending, you know, like as perfect as it might be now or, you know, planning out something, you know, once you've lived in it and, and grown in it as a business for a couple of months, you always start to kind of see the little tweaks and improvements and growth potential. It's a good problem to have, my friend. Totally. It's a very good problem to have. Yeah, totally. I, I would rather do that than have to like scramble and be like, okay, well, we're going to close off this area and maybe I'll like sublet it to somebody else or something. So, you know, growth is growth is really good. You know, it's, it's nice to see uh, studios that offer quality and have a good reputation thrive. You know, and nobody wants to see 
you know, something unfortunate happened where, you know, laws change or zoning changes or, you know, staffing problems or, or logistics. Oh, here's a good question that, that I, I, I think you would be really great to ask too is, um, how do you handle jewelry wait times stretching out eight weeks or 12 weeks? Are you putting in orders like every two weeks? Are you putting in gigantic orders once a month? Like how are you managing that kind of like inventory? Ooh, that is a tough one. So yes, I am putting orders in with every company they order from every two weeks. And yes, they're, they're massive. Um, you know, every, we'll just say with our threadless jewelry, every two weeks, they're approximately between 15 to 20,000 every two weeks. Wow. And that's why I'm kind of hoping that bubble never pops because <laughs> then I'd be stuck with a very large inventory, but it's needed because of the amount of volume that I'm going through that I'm running out of things constantly. So even with their production time, sometimes they're like, ooh, we produced one week faster than the 12-week wait time. It still doesn't help catch up, um, especially where in the industry when it first started, I could place an order on Monday and have it by Friday and right. be fully stocked in the entire week. Now it's, ooh, what are people going to like in the next four months? Yeah. You know, how am I predict that is the, the very difficult thing. So the industry standard things that we're always used to um, the staple items, I'm ordering massive amounts of those every two weeks. And, you know, it, it's like Christmas when that package arrives and I get to open it up. It's a, it's a wonderful, beautiful feeling. And then um, the pieces that may sit around for a little while that I know those people that are going to come in every now and then be like, oh, that's a beautiful. Let me get that one piece. I'm still ordering those. And sometimes I'm ordering two or three of those because that one beautiful piece that might have took a year to sell may be only four months. And now I got to order it again. Right. Um, we'll take, for instance, those large gem industrial pieces that industrial strength makes mm -hmm. where they have two rows of them, we ordered two more and we've put one out on display and it was in display for three weeks and it's already gone. I have wow. to order more like three months, four months for it to come in. if not a little bit longer. Um, yeah, that's, so that's even crazy. I'm still ordering a lot of, uh, so when you, when you focus on inventory, like what, what programs are you using for, to, to just to manage that, like on the back end, like logistically, like what, what kind of programs are you using? Oh, you're going to hate this all day long, but good old fashioned pen and paper. It's just all on paper and I do it all by paper. That's how I do it. You know, like when, when I, when I say stuff like that, it's because sometimes I'll talk to other studios and they, they can be, you know, five piercings a day studios and they're like, Oh, you got to try this program and this app and this spreadsheet. And it's just like, you know what? It's all in my head. You know, I have like note paper for like, Oh yeah, we're low on this. Make sure you put it on the next order. And then, you know, I'll, I'll go in and you know, Evan and I will, you know, I'll have some, some printed out spreadsheets or paper or notes or whatever. And I'll just, I'll throw an order together, type it out in an email and send it in. But that's, that's how I'm doing it too. Uh, Ryan, have you seen the movie, um, Bruce Almighty? Yes. Okay. You know, the section when he is now getting all the information that God would normally get, he's getting all the prayers and everything. And he's looking for a way to organize it. Right. And at first it's all post-its, then it's all you know, spreadsheets, then it's all emails. That's that's kind of what it's like in my office. There's <laughs> post-its, there's paper everywhere. There is, it's everywhere. But in order for me to sit down and put it into a computer system, I would almost need to shut down for a couple of days because I couldn't fathomly do it during business hours or I would need to hire an entire crew to come in and inventory it all. Yeah, it's it's um, got to be like almost an impossible task at this point because even the jewelry that I have, which is probably – you know, 5% of what you have, you know, it, it, it would still be a, a huge undertaking, you know, every ball and gem and post and whatever, you know, it would just take forever. And then, 
you know, would, would you be able to like keep it a hundred percent accurate if people are still learning a process and all that? So, you know, if there are people out there listening and you're, you're opening a new studio from day one, yeah, maybe totally go with some sort of a computer system. But, you know, if you're already doing a, a paper system and you know, you have someone like the owner or like a jewelry manager or something that, that can handle it, uh, in the physical realm, you know, like that's, that's my comfort zone. Uh, I, I've always thought about trying to switch over to more like digital logistics, but you know, I'm, I'm nervous to pull the trigger on it because it's, it would be an undertaking for sure. Yeah, no, you're right, man. You're right. I would need to take a week off and not vacation, just stay at home. And, uh, I mean, stay at work, I'm sorry, and continue on and, and just program it all into a computer. Yeah. I don't know if I have patience for that at this point. Right. Well, uh, you know, I bet you our accountants would probably appreciate it if we had something like a, a spreadsheet that we could send over. But you know what? They can deal with it. My accountant talks to me at least three, four times a year and is like, so did you go to QuickBooks yet? Are we getting everything on QuickBooks this year? And I'm like, nope, you're getting on a piece of paper. <laughs> I, I have I have some digital stuff. You know, I, I at this point, I pay for a bookkeeper to handle a lot of my, my stuff, you know, and it's it's made it easier. But uh, every year comes around, you know, and my accountant just just looks at me and, you know, because I I have not had a year in, I don't don't know, probably ever since I've opened where I've gotten a refund, you know. So if every year, if I know I'm going to owe taxes, you know, I'll work on it on April 14th. I'm not about to get it done three months in advance and do all this stuff. And I know it's it's tough, you know, on on the the accountant type professionals, but uh, nobody wants to cut those checks to the IRS any earlier. One, you just said a word that I'm not sure I understand. Um, I'm going to backtrack a little bit. You said a word refund. Right. I'm not right. what that is. And um, yeah, you don't even want to know the staggering number of what I paid in federal and state taxes this year. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing for business owners. You know, sometimes sometimes staff members, you know, I had a conversation with my with one of my tattooers just the other day where he was grumbling about, oh, you know, I owed this much on my taxes. And it's like, don't even get me started, dude. Like if, if you want to like just sit in the corner and cry, I'll tell you about what I have to pay just in quarterly taxes, which is probably more than your annual taxes, you know. So, um, you know, I'm, I'm not really one to let um, other people like whine about their mild growth when it's just like, you know what, try to, try to walk in my shoes for, for a year and you'll, you'll want to get out of the, the industry and you'll want to go start working at Dunkin' Donuts or something. But again, I, I will say it's another good complaint to have. It's a good problem to have. Absolutely. I'm just, am I paying a lot towards the state and federal? Yes, but that's because industry is doing very well and, and I'm happy. Mm-hmm. I'm not planning one tiny bit about it. Right, right. I mean, I'll, I'll complain a tiny bit about it, but I totally get you know, like you have to, you have to pay your fair share, you know, which is why sometimes it can be so infuriating to see stuff on the news where it's like, you know, certain people are getting these tax cuts and tax breaks and all that stuff. Like when I went to go file my taxes, I was like, where's my tax cut? And uh, Mm -hmm. he was like, well, you're, you know, you're paying 2% less in taxes. And it's like, great. Thanks. Awesome. Appreciate it. Um, but you know what? It's, it's the price of business. It's the, you know, whenever people say like, it's the cost of doing business, like that's literally what they mean. You know, you're, you're paying fees on credit card processing, you're paying taxes, you know, you're paying payroll and, and, you know, all this stuff. And, uh, you know, as you, as you grow the business and as you become more successful, there's a lot more money going out, you know, yeah, sure. There's money coming in, but still there's a lot of money going out. And I think, uh, if, if there, again, if there are people listening and you want to get serious about a business or if you're a, a piercer who wants to become an owner or something like that, you're like, 
be prepared. You know, like uh, usually the owner is the last person. I don't know how, how you run your business, but I, as the owner, am the last person to make money off of my business. You know, uh, every penny that's available, first it's going to go to jewelry or to staffing or to supplies or something like that. And then if there's stuff left over at the end that I don't have to put towards my taxes, sure, that's when Ryan gets paid. But, you yes. know, like everything else comes first because you got to keep the business open. You are 100% right. There have been points in times where peanut butter and jelly all week long because I'm not buying lunch because I need more money to put more money into the business to be able to grow more. Right. So understand that there's been times where my checkbook has been overdrawn. I've written more checks because I needed that jewelry to have more growth, to have more business, keep pushing forward. Yeah, exactly. Well, I mean, it, it, it's paid off, you know, it's like, I, it's really cool to see, you know, someone like you that, that I've seen in the area for a long time, you know, grow and, and achieve this level of success and, and, you know, this, this reputation and volume and, and, and quality and all that stuff, you know, it's, it's, it's really cool to see that, you know, and, uh, you know, it, it makes me happy sometimes when I, when I see that it's like, we're kind of like a New England clique, you know, like, you know, you and Rockstar and all these other studios in the area are, are doing awesome and, uh. You know, it's just it's just cool to see it. You know, people can think of like New England piercing as as something respectable, and that, that's something that I'm I'm pretty proud of. You know, I'm I'm sure you are too. Yeah, of course, man. It's great to see everyone around me growing as well. Everyone that's doing good, solid work, producing good, solid uh, pieces of jewelry in their studio. It's great to see everyone growing. Cool, man. Well, uh, I'm probably gonna call it here because I have to go into work. I have an appointment in about 45 minutes. Um, but I wanted to say, you know, thanks for uh, for kind of talking to me sort of last minute, you know, not a lot of notice on a, on a Sunday morning. I appreciate that. No, no problem. Anytime, my friend. It's good hearing from you. So uh, one more time for the people listening. Um, where's your studio and, and what's your social media? Sure. Piercing Emporium and Tattoo at 205 Shrewsbury Street, Worcester, Mass. Um, Piercing Emporium on Facebook. Um, my Instagram for the studio is your hole puncher, uh, just basically how it is. Y O U R H O L E P U N C H E R. Cool. All right, man. Thanks, Mark. I appreciate you talking to me. Awesome, man. You have a great day. You too. Bye. All right. Thanks for taking the time to talk to me, Mark. Always appreciate it. Uh, I've got a call scheduled in, I think, two days from now with Monica Sabin. She's one of the uh, the key members of the APP membership committee. And we're going to talk all about membership and uh, what some of the different myths are for membership. You know, you don't need a statum to be an APP member and, and this and that. So we're going to talk uh, some of the more common questions that come up with APP membership. I just uh, earlier today uh, recorded a call with Alex Wilkins, uh, one of my friends from the UK. So that'll probably be next week's show. Um, interesting. You know, we talk a lot about, um, you know, growing from maybe not so good jewelry to the, the jewelry you want to be using on customers. So that should be a pretty good show. Uh, thanks for tuning in. Uh, again, I've got all my classes open. You can go to precisionbodyarts.com backslash seminars. You can read all about the different classes I have coming up. Um, if you might be one of those people interested in that London class, go ahead and shoot me an email at ryanpba at gmail.com or get a hold of me on Facebook. And uh, I'll be back next week for you. Thanks for listening. For more information about the show, visit piercingwizardpodcast.com or like Piercing Wizard Podcast on Facebook. For more info about your host, visit precisionbodyarts.com or search Ryan PBA on Facebook, Instagram, and Tumblr. If you enjoy the show, you can subscribe on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, and Google Play. Music by Benny B. Blanco. Show copyright 2017, Precision Body Arts, LLC. All rights reserved.